All right. One of the biggest things that we as entrepreneurs struggle with and founders is vision delivery. So if you're an entrepreneur, you see a vision in your head, especially if you're a quick start, and then you've got this big idea, you can see it from start to finish, but then you go to your teams and you might get bogged down because there's a fact finder there that asks you so many questions, you get lost, and you realize that your mindset, their mindset, and you might not have a framework in mind, you just have a vision. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to spend some time on in this episode is... How do you communicate your big idea vision and actually get it executed? And this is one of the things that I always admire about you, Dan. You're cranking out a minimum of four books a year. Really, it's closer to six or seven, plus all the tools, which are ahead of the curve. I know in our last uh, strategic coach meeting, you said that you're close to a quarter ahead already. Yeah. And that's your goal. And then um, maintain, and uh, maintain that. You know, it's a. Uh... A permanent ability, you know, that I'm always a quarter ahead. Yeah. Right. So I think this is an opportunity to get into your head and ask the question that everyone I know uh, wants to know, which is okay, Dan's managed to build this incredible team that can execute on vision. And, you know, how do you communicate that? And if you were going to talk to someone right now, and this is a pretty good <clears throat> setup. Let's say you're a busy entrepreneur and you don't spend enough time in your unique ability, your own superpower. Um, you're frustrated because your teams are lagging. They don't move along. They don't understand the structure. Sometimes it's just getting that momentum going mm -hmm. and building the team and like who the who should be and what their roles and responsibilities are and how do you communicate that? So let's do some deconstructing and simplifying, shall we? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'd like to hit the head on the thing of entrepreneurs have visions, you know. And um, first of all, I think this is a bit misrepresented in the movies and on television and, you know, in novels. Uh, you know, it goes back to the Ayn Rand thing, you know, with Howard Rourke and, you know, the, you know, um, uh, you know uh, the whole notion of the rugged individualists and everything else. But when you really uh, examine where there is great entrepreneurism and great things are being created, um, the entrepreneur um, uh, is depicted as, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, getting lightning bolts from heaven, you know, and the normal human beings don't get these, you know, these kind of visitations from the divine. And... Uh, but what I, you know, what uh, I'll just say how I look at it personally for myself, and then I'll say where uh, I think I've avoided a lot of problems by doing it the way that I do, and then I'll talk about the problems. So uh, first of all, it isn't so much my team that I take into consideration; it's actually the clients. It's actually the I call it, the, you know, any idea you have, make sure you test on check writers. So. You know, I, uh, and I say the only people who can know whether one of your new ideas are good is not are the people who would write a check for it. So I've got I've got this attitude. And the other thing, Mike, is that no matter how brilliant I think my idea is, uh, it's only 50 percent good. So if I work on it for a week, it's 50 percent good. If I work on it for two years, it's 50 percent good. 
until I actually test it on check writers. Okay, because the only people to say that this is a good idea are the people who would buy it, use it, and get benefit out of it. My team doesn't have anything to say until I've gotten a read from the check writers. Okay, I never test out a new idea on my team. But I've got a kind of a really favorable situation is I have a thing called a workshop where I can just test out a new, I, you know, I can, you know, I just put an idea on the screen and say, hey, I've got this idea. I want, I just like some feedback on this. Does this mean anything to you? And then, uh, you know, you get a conversation going. Well, the moment the conversation starts, the idea starts to change, you know. And from my perspective, the idea starts to improve when I get the input of my clients. And this is all witnessed by my team. So, you know, they're watching me play with the ideas or watching the testing. And so they know when I, um, you know, I come to them with the idea, it's already been market tested. Well, and I, that's great. I completely agree. I'm a big believer um, in doing that. And I know historically, the way I'd implement this is in the past when I had Traffic Geyser, Instant Customer, and my subsequent businesses, I made a point of doing three to four live events a year. And at every single one, I rolled out a brand new idea, brand new product, and I pitched it from audience, the you know, from stage. So the basic idea is deliver a whole bunch of value, deliver on the promise, um, show social proof of how something's working. Um, and, and you do that very much inside the workshop. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like, let me show you a new thinking tool. Let me demonstrate it, show you how I'm using this and let's do it together. And then you incrementally bring the audience through and then get feedback, mm -hmm. which is the perfect. It's like having a, um, whatever, a focus group, a real-time focus group. And you can look at the lights being turned on and you have enough momentum of whether it's 30 people or a hundred people or more in the, the Zoom room in this case, or you know, versus a, a physical event. So the question I have for you is um, think about someone who wants to do more of this. So they're in a space where they know they're ineffective at vision delivery, motivating the team to follow along and implement the vision and um, they haven't been in the habit of testing out their ideas on paying customers. So the, the struggle I could see someone, you know, who might be listening or watching this right now saying, well, that's all fine for Dan. You've got a 40 year uh, organization that you've been developing, evolving, but, you know, struggling with gaining momentum, but more importantly, changing the habits, the mental mindset and gaining the courage and the confidence to be able to practice this without all the failure mechanisms that you know are preventing them from moving forward. How do you get? How do you leap the courage gap? Yeah, well, you know, uh, first of all, uh, any story that I would tell here is kind of peculiar, you know, to the circumstances on how our company developed. So this is how I read uh, how our company has has grown. First, uh, first of all, uh, one of the unique parts of Coach is that all of our team members actually 
on a regular basis come into contact with the customers and clients. Okay. And I, I really think that that's a strength of our company because um, I, where I think entrepreneurs get very, very unhappy with their team members and where the team members are actually deserving to, that the entrepreneur be unhappy with them is where there's a, a, a total separation between uh, the uh, employees, we'll call them employees. The employees don't know what the company is for. They don't actually know, yeah, we're doing all this work, but they have no notion of what the work that they do in the company actually who is it for how is it used and everything so the uh, so um, they're ignorant and ig their ignorance makes them defensive the only thing that they know is that um um almost anything new can um can be a danger to their job and the reason is because they're completely ignorant this is why government bureaucracies never work is because what's all this for? You know, what's all this for? Who, who in a government bureaucracy knows the actual benefit, the person who actually benefits from the government bureaucracy? You know, and uh, it's not necessarily a, um, of size. So, for example, you can have great companies. I always thought that the Four Seasons Hotels were uh, a great organization. You know, right now they've got 40,000 employees worldwide if you take all the hotels uh, around the world. But um, they're, the people who work in those hotels are totally clear about who the customers are that they're being served. And I think that's the crucial thing. And I think if the entrepreneur hasn't set up a situation where his team actually knows who the customers are, then um, they're, they're going to push back against his new ideas because um, they don't know what the new ideas do for their job security. Mm-hmm. Yes. Does that make sense? I mean, does that make sense? You know? It does. It does. And uh, I'm, I'm making a point of while you're speaking, I have a transcript running so I can read your words because these are complex ideas but uh um and, and i would i would just the way i would echo this <clears throat> you know when i look through the structure i examine everything through through a business lens is i have six steps that i'll i'll run something through so the first one is mindset and that's my mindset and my target audience's mindset i need to know what they love what they hate what they think about and everything about them. And I always have a character of one. So if I write a book, I, the way I write copy, the way I write anything is I turn on the camera and I speak to an individual who's my idealized client as though I'm having a conversation. Mm -hmm. I transcribe it in real time. I'm always using Otter or if I'm doing books, I use Rev for that. And then I, I uh, paste it in a book-like document. So it actually looks like a book. And then I print it off and I, and I highlight and mark it up because sometimes operating in the physical world is better. And I'm, I'm sharing that just, again, this is very how-to-y, but the second phase though is market. And that is, again, diving down even deeper into the market and uh, where they live 
and who owns relationships with them. So mm-hmm. I think through the concentric rings of influence, if you have your target audience, you have affinity groups they may uh, belong to, you have uh, influencers who influence them. But I think through the lens of an ambassador, who can influence the influencers? Who mm-hmm. could put? Who would be willing to put their reputation on the line on behalf of you? The third is the model, which is the business you're selling. That's the product or the perception of what they receive. The, the next is the message. What are the words they need to hear to raise their hands and say yes? The media is the next. In other words, do they like books? Do they listen? Do they do podcasts? And the final one are the multipliers, which are all the little tactics that can make these things happen. Mm-hmm. So I way, way went deep here. But when I listened to what you just talked about, really everything revolves around um, how incredibly valuable and important that one-on-one relationship is. And for you, if, if you're Dan Sullivan, you've got to say, think about maybe it's Brett Kaufman. Maybe it's think about Charlie Epstein. Maybe think about, you know, Brian Sweet or whomever, you know, Lisa Cheney, for example. Um, you've got to visualize that individual and say, how would they react or respond to this right now? So mm-hmm. that's my overanalyzed yeah. way of digging deep. But did that resonate with what you had said? Yeah. Uh, the, the thing, uh, you know, that, um, you know, probably, um, you know, we've adjusted our model, uh, many times since I was just a one-on-one coach and I was a one-on-one coach for 15 years. And it was, you know, for most of that time, it was Dan and, uh, uh you know, keeping my finances in my head and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, everything, but what I developed was, um, um, you know, uh, a kind of a curriculum that any client I would have would go through the same steps. And what differentiated them is that uh, all the steps were simply um, um, containers for their unique experience. So I was able to uh, kind of create a uh, repetitive process, but uh, what the actual content was, was unique to the unique to the client, you know, so everybody has the same little box and they have 30 seconds to fill them in. But what goes into the box is uh, totally different content, you know, and um, actually Jeff Matt- Madoff, who I just started a new podcast series with, uh, we're, we're just in the launch stage right now. We did a, we did a podcast on, um, you know, that creative people don't like being um, contained with other, in other people's yeah, methods. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, he says it's always puzzled me how you get away with it because you you seem to have an incredible amount of structure. Um, you know that seems common to everybody. Do it, and I said, yeah, but um, the structure is there just so that they can get a handle on their own unique experience. So. You know, um, um, it looks like they're all doing the same thing every day, but they're all doing the same thing on something unique, which is their own experience. And they, they'll they'll stay with it for five or six hours because it's just about them. You know, it's not about me. It's not 
is not, you know, you don't have to believe what Dan believes about it. So the whole question is, uh, you know, what sense are you making out of your own experience here? So, and I, I think that's a trick that I, you know, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, almost a 50 year trick that I've learned is how can I get people to be very systematic, but at the same time, be unique at the same time as they're being systematic. And, uh, you know, I've got and, an insight on that too. So keep, keep going. If you had, and, a, had and, a and, you know, I, I know a lot better. I know a lot more about it now than I did <laughs> 20 years ago. And, uh, the the other aspect the other aspect about it is um, 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 and this changes a lot and uh, you know and I've talked to entrepreneurs about that uh, in 1984 I decided that I would never get killed because of receivables again in other words where I had done work but um, and the work was completed and I had billed the customer and the client. But instead of 30 days, instead of 60 days, I would get 90 days. And I didn't have the staying power, and I went bankrupt twice because of receivables. And, uh, it, you know, and the bank doesn't care. You know, I mean, uh, the other thing I learned was that banks only love you when you, when you don't need them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I said, you know, we, we have to, I, can, I can't live with, this doing the work and not getting paid so what we you know we just adapted is that you pay before the process you know in in the program as it exists now you pay at the beginning of the year for the whole year and at all times we have half of our year's revenue coming in we're always a you know we, we always have it and mike the the thing that this does it's an amazing there's an amazing number of tensions in an organization that are simply the result of um, unpredict unpredictable and unreliable cash flow. Yes. A lot of the anxieties that the entrepreneur passes off to their staff is because the uh, one is that the finances are not certain. And the other thing is that the employees don't know what the entrepreneur knows about the finances. Yes. And I think uh, as a founder, part of your responsibility, unspoken or known or unknown, is to uh, create the illusion of security and uh, transfer certainty to your team mm -hmm. just as much as you're transferring certainty to your customer. Well, um, yeah, yeah, and the thing is that the company can't be as important to them as it is to me. No, it's a job. I, I mean, a lot of them love their job, and we try to work that, you know, the, the work you're doing, we, you know, we apply unique ability to our team uh, in the same fashion as we apply it to our customers. But, you know, we, uh, we just had a great digital person who is in, uh, she's been in for about two and a half years. And she's just worked wonders as far as scheduling and filling up with events. And she's got a wonderful personality. But about two weeks ago, two weeks ago, she just got an incredible offer, you know, probably a 40% jump. Uh, she's in charge and everything. She says, you know, this is, um, this is so mainline to where I want to go in the future. She said, I'm going to take it. And, uh, and, you know, and, Everybody is sad to see her go. Everybody has voiced appreciation. But 
you know, um, uh, the whole point is that people do things for their reasons, not not mine. <laughs> you know, and and I think the thing is that uh, it's not possible for your for your team to be as in love with the company as you are. It's just not possible, and it's unreasonable for you to expect them to. You know, unless you're giving them fifty percent of the money, fifty percent of the ownership, they can't. They can't. They simply can't have the emotional commitment you can. And uh, it's unfair of you to even suggest that they should be. That that uh, makes a ton of sense. So my interpretation of where we are in here is um, number one: always test on check writers. Completely agree with that. The next one is um, really they've got to be engaged and working with the clients and the customers yep. all the time. Have direct uh, direct contact and understanding yep. uh, between your your team and who you're serving. Right, and they um, you can't expect them to ever understand. Uh, where they are inside of a bureaucracy that's always a complicated math problem and unless they're an owner it's a job and um and so what you know if we really you've got to rely on the frameworks and the systems and the one commentary i wanted to give you is um <clears throat> you know one of the reasons why um I love coach so much. It's so valuable is because um, to me, it's like going to church. I like having a structure laid in front of me. And just for the record, I was raised a Catholic like you. I never liked going to church. Okay. It, it was, it was, to me, it was hellacious and, and I didn't like any of the structure. I'd never identified with it. Um, but I know from my dad and my mom, it was a good tool. And I used to, uh, I had an old mentor. He used to say, I like going there, just clearing my mind and hearing the stories. It cleans, there's something it does for me. It cleans me up. And, and so the, the analogy I wanted to create is to me, uh, attending coach is getting to experience the frameworks, looking at my life and my business through a structure, which mentally I'm a multiplier. I'm not a simplifier. So mm -hmm. I like tools, but what I, I observe, and I certainly um, have seen culturally is I think a lot of the customers want to be Dan someday and, and want to be strategic coach. They mm -hmm. want the self-running organization. Mm -hmm. They see it and they see an opportunity to be able to express themselves creatively as a founder and an owner to experience multiplying and to spend more of their time in their unique ability, right? That's part of the yeah. brand promise. And so um, what happens is they see the tools as a springboard and because they're interactive, they're engaging and participatory, um, there's a sense of ownership that mm -hmm. naturally occurs. And instead of it being um, a form of... Uh, a prison, it's a springboard and a platform. And I, I've observed that over and over again. It's a mechanism where they can take ownership in the process, the creative process. And because that is your methodology of teaching and training and mm -hmm. coaching, that's part of what makes it work. Yeah. And there's so much nuance to that. I could never say like, you know, now that you've adapted to 
delivering by Zoom and digitally, you know, now the way you manage our exercises where you've got a new tool, you demonstrate it, talk about the philosophy, show what you do, and then let's do it together and then break out into breakout rooms. You know, I think to the average Joe who'd see this, he'd be like, well, I can do that too until they realize there's an enormous amount of team nuance, a lot of unmentioned flow to keep things on track and also to regain and retain total control, which you've expertly figured out to do. Um, so again, as usual, I, I went way, way deep on it, no, but no, uh, no, do you have I any? Think, no, I think it's an interesting, first of all, I think the, um, uh, we're very fortunate in the age that we live that entrepreneurs can literally, um, custom design organizations for their own personal reasons and for, uh, uh, the uh, kind of creative game they can play with their customers, with their team members. So I think a lot of what you we've talked about in the last 20 minutes, Mike, you, you, 25 years ago, you couldn't even talk about this stuff because it wasn't possible. And I think that the, the, the very, very rapid movement into the virtual world actually creates uh, the possibility of enormous creative flexibility in how you Construct an organization, and I, I, I would say that uh, that about fifty percent of the character that your organization takes on is a, purely a function of who you are as an entrepreneur, and therefore you can't copy someone else's organization because you don't, you don't, you you can, you know, it's kind of like you can see the appliances, but you have no idea of the plumbing. That that is so true. Um, I've the way I've been telling the story lately is even though Steve Jobs has been dead for over a decade, his DNA was injected in that organization, and Apple wouldn't be uh, the most valuable company, depending on the time of day. But in general, they're the most valuable corporation in the world. And uh, you look at what Elon's done. I think long after he goes, you know, right now when he opens up his mouth, the stock price increases. Um, and it's not because he's a great communicator. He mumbles and bumbles his way through, but he's a great visionary. Yeah. And um, I think that vision plus the fact that you can Im imagine yourself into a brand um, and feel the benefits um, matters so much. And that is the DNA of the founder. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and, you know, and it can, whether it's 50% or 100%, I think when it's well done, it's going to live on long after that founder's there. And the bigger the platform of the founder, the stronger the brand and the business is. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think um, as usual, this has been another amazing episode. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this segment up? Uh, well, I would say the um, um, one of the things that I've been um, 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 very careful about and very consciously careful about uh, is to, uh, you know, and it, it's on two levels. One is my relationship with Babs. And the other one is, uh, uh, has to do with uh, my, my understanding uh, telling the team what I think my own future is in the company, constantly projecting ahead of them that what I'm doing. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that's very, very, very important 
you know, for and our our organization, you know, historically has been eighty to eighty five percent women. Okay, and I've seen some real disasters take place in husband and wife, uh, um, you know, um, um, entrepreneurial companies where you have a husband and wife who are co-owners and doing it, where uh, either one of the partners uh, um, flirts with their staff, you know, and uh, it's disaster. I say, I, it's just absolutely disaster. And, uh, and, so, you know, right from the beginning for, you know, uh, more than 30 years, uh, the, the Dan and Babs are totally committed to each other and there's nothing else going on, you know, uh, there's nothing else going on. So that's one guarantee that I do. And the other guarantee is that I don't have some other business in mind. I'm not involved in any other business. And this is the only business that I have. And this is the business I'm totally committed to. And I'm not planning to leave anytime soon, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be growing. I'm not just um, not just on cruise control that uh, every quarter I have I have things that scare me. And going into the future, there's always going to be new things that scare me just as much as things scared me 20 years ago or 25 years ago. You know, and I, I want them to know that uh, not only is the commitment uh, the way it always has been, but the commitment is getting greater. And I think that gives them a lot of uh, assurance. They, they don't have to worry yeah. anything about yeah. my relationship with Babs, and they don't have to worry about anything related to our notion of the future. That That is super powerful. Just um, a clear, obvious, single-minded commitment, and nobody ever doubts what those are. No, and I'm a one, uh, that level, I'm a, yeah, I'm one of those one master dogs. Just uh, <laughs> it's just one, you know, it's just one person as one future, and there there isn't anything else. Yes, that's um, certainty, commitment, single mindedness. I think that's a big part of the the answer here. So, well, let's um, let's wrap this segment up. Another great episode, and. Um, Anything you want to add before we uh, bring this baby home? The, the one thing I would say, uh, you know, and it's just an observation that came through from our conversation, that if you went back, um, uh, you know, if you went back uh, 50 years ago when, you know, textbooks are written on business and, uh, you know, there's commentary in the news media about business and there's articles written. Uh, it was about the um, the infinite corridors of uh, large corporations, large, uh, you know, and, you know, all the amazing skills it takes to, to run, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, large corporations and the psychology of corporate leadership and, you know, and everything. And you move forward 50 years to where we are right now. My feeling is all the most important studies into leadership and, uh, you know, into the psychology of having a dynamic organization, having great teamwork will have nothing to do with corporations. It'll all be entrepreneurial networks from now on. 
And uh, you know what tells me that is the way that large corporations are trying to be okay for the cancel culture when Coca-Cola and when Nike and everything, you know, Major League Baseball, the National Basketball Association, and they're paying attention to complainers on Twitter and complainers. Uh, I said, now, you know, uh, there's no more gas in the tank for this model. And in this particular case, I, I can't agree more. And it really goes down to this vision of what, you know, you've talked about for a long time, which is what the free zone is all about. It's collaborative relationships and uh, totally, what's gonna, un totally entrepreneurial. Yes. And the combination of what we're going to start seeing so rapidly with NFTs and blockchain, smart contracts are going to ensure that people get paid, results happen uh, when expectations are met and results are created. And the fact that with NFTs, there are mechanisms in place to manufacture currency and increase the value of that at an astronomical rate without being dependent upon traditional fiat and be able to convert it in, in and out of fiat rapidly as well. And that's where we're going to see these, I think, for a while, dangerous, absurd um, wealth creation um, spikes. But it's just like the early days of the Internet. There's going to be some shenanigans afoot before it stabilizes. And, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago people thought selling books online was crazy. And um, 400 years hour. ago in Holland, they thought it was about tulips. Yeah, right on. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be some there's going to be some bodies in the streets, yeah. um, but we're going to just see um, so many remarkable um, transformations. I I'm so excited for it. And, and that window is going to continue to accelerate faster and faster and faster. Um, I uh, this is a side note, but I met up with um, Lee Richter. Um, gathered together a small group of um, NFT slash crypto experts. And we sat around for three hours earlier this week. And um, some of the ideas that I got exposed to for how products and businesses are being financed, and it's like a new form of crowdsourcing, mm -hmm. you know? The, mm -hmm. So the a notion, for example, there's a, I'll, I'll just say a very famous performer composer is financing a concert with NFT-backed art that will be displayed on stage, yeah. okay? So the whole idea is people can buy unique art, but it's all digital, that's gonna yeah. be visible, and then they can do whatever they want with it after the concert, but their investment Pays is for the financing. Concert. Yeah, it's financing yeah. the concert, and they could set it up so the blockchain could give them, you know, let's say you'd get a certain percentage of the concert and the ticket sales for making the investment, which could be paid instantaneously as it occurs. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and we started just creating a bunch of ideas on how to, you know, prevent um, uh, you know, counterfeits, for example, counterfeit yeah. consumables. Yeah. And again, there's smart contracts. So many, yeah, so yeah. many fascinating ways. And um, I'm I'm interested in inventing these things, you know, and helping businesses uh, move to the next level by 
you know, reimagining their businesses and adding value. And so it was just like, uh, it, and, and to be exposed to like the technology, the developers who are thinking about this right now are mm-hmm. multiplying at incredible rates. And they're talking to the new financiers of the world mm-hmm. um, who are thinking without barriers, borders, uh, politics, uh, party or religion. And that's, um, that's a new evolutionary mindset. There is no them in, in the world that they are, are creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, reading Tom Wu. Tam Wu is a really good writer. He's a lawyer and he's a professor at Columbia yes. University. And his uh, real interest is uh, information companies. And he said, you know, information companies are are in the business of doing something very, very different than, you know, uh, you know, making pipes or making shoes or anything. He says they're they're doing something different. But he says, fortunately, we actually have a model for how information companies develop, and it starts with Western Union. And then it's AT and T, and to a certain extent, um, uh, Standard Standard Oil was actually an information company, uh, you know, uh, about transportation, about lots of different things. But then you have the NBC, you have the Hollywood studios, uh, and um, you know, and then it gets up into the internet, the, the microchip and internet thing. And he says there's actually a model here, and he said it seems to repeat itself over and over that something new gets created. Uh, at the beginning, almost anybody with an idea can get involved and actually start something. And then um, there's kind of a center forms of the industry where the general public starts getting involved, and the general public wants to have absolute reliability without them having to do any thinking or spoken yeah no they just want uh, they want reach and reliability but they don't want please don't make me think you yes. know all right yeah. please make me think and you know mark zuckerberg doesn't make you think you know um you know um yeah you know but he said that in each case uh they these um these um um, information companies got bigger, uh, they got too big for anybody who's good, and you break them up. And he's, he's, he's uh, uh, really pushing for the breakup of Facebook. He says, Facebook, they're now at the point where they're suppressing innovation everywhere. And he says, uh, there's one thing of creating the highest level of value to the public, and then you cross over where you're killing any kind of innovation that might knock you off your perch. And he says Facebook crossed that a long time ago. He doesn't believe Google has, but he believes that Facebook has, um, you know, has, has done it. So it's really interesting. And he's um, very well thought of in Congress. He's, and he's absolutely charming. If you go on to YouTube, he's got a whole bunch of interviews and everything. He's just a very charming person. And he says, you know, you know, you know, uh, this has happened over and over again. We have a model for it, and they've crossed over. They've crossed over. They're they're not a good company anymore. Yes, I uh, I I couldn't agree more. And and that's um, I think I'm going to leave it at that. 
I have some yeah. thoughts, but um, uh, that's a great, po- great way to end this episode. So yeah, we've got, um, uh, yeah, we always, uh, we always finish our trip by giving an indication of four or five more trips. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we've got a, we've got a bunch more in the hopper yep. that we'll be recording soon. And we got a bunch of ideas. So I took great notes and uh, I'm excited for our next one. So mm-hmm. here's uh, what I'd like to leave our audience with. First of all, if you want to get some more insight um, as to what the experience of being in strategic coach is like, I invite you right now to pull out your mobile phone and text the letters CA to 858-434-5316. I'm going to send you a six-minute video, which is uh, it's life in a strategic coach, what it's like and how it can benefit you and the quality of your life. Uh, definitely worth checking out and some other goodies as well. And then, of course, you can always head on over to capabilityamplifier.com, share it with your friends, comment, please. And there's also a, a link where you can click and leave us uh, an audio message that Dan and I will get and we'll follow up with you, especially if you've got an idea for an upcoming episode. So, Dan, anything else you'd like to add? I'm, I, I feel very satisfied with what we did. Well done, sir. Another, uh, another success. So thank you as usual, Dan. And thank you everyone for being here, listening, watching, whatever, however you're consuming the the content. We really appreciate you. Bye-bye.